welcome to the second episode of the Darcy podcast, the podcast on disability, accessibility and representation in the creative industries. My name is Mariana Lopez and I'm a professor in sound production and post-production at the University of York. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Inman, a film director working in Cornwall. Part of the film collective Bear Behind You, he makes both fiction and documentaries with a focus on community participation and coastal storytelling. Their last film, Spines, was the first BFI network-funded film to be written, directed and star on autistic person. Joe collaborated with the Enhancing Audio Description team in integrating EAD methods, that is enhanced audio description to spines. By this, I mean the integration of an alternative to audio description in which sound design is used as a vehicle for accessibility by integrating sound effects, sound spatialization and first person description. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing this morning? I am well, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, it's a bit cold and rainy in York, but not too bad. Uh, we are delighted to have you here in our uh, Darcy podcast. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Spines for those who haven't watched the film. What is it about and what was your source of inspiration? Um, Spines is a semi-autobiographical film about an eight-year-old autistic boy who gets... Uh, by chance meets a new friend and uh, their relationship begins to blossom over his love of this book he has and storytelling and when uh, she invites him round to hers to look at her dad's books um, trouble ensues I guess it's um, it's a sort of optimistic exploration of my experience as a autistic person growing up and how storytelling um, can be a vital tool for helping um, gain skills like empathy and compromise and uh, all those sorts of things you need to be a good adult and um, yeah it's um it's a very it's supposed to be a very nice film. I like that you say it's supposed to be. <laughs> it is indeed a very nice, it's a very nice, uh, nice uh, film. And um, I've heard you've been uh, going around uh, to very many different festivals. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, we were in, um, we premiered Encounters and we've been at Aesthetica, we've been in France, I think. We're playing in uh, at a disability festival in Kosovo today. Um, I'm not there, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, so just been trying to travel as much with the film as possible. And um, it's been a bit of a strange one. The previous films we've made, we made a documentary and we made um, a uh, eight millimeter heist film. And they were very different experiences in the festival sort of circuit as the um you know we tend to now be in categories with this film for children specifically or about disabled issues and and that's a very different and um much nicer way to travel around with the film um and so just trying to make sure that in 
that now the film is doing well, I get to see as much of that as possible. And um, and especially when it comes to the ones that are looking specifically at films for children or films for and about disabled people. Um, yeah, just trying to make sure that I can really, well, I think be an ambassador for the film, but also, you know, you spend four years making these things in the dark and you do need to try and get the, um, it was very much a film made for autistic children and for the sort of child that I was yeah. and any chance to be able to be in an audience of children watching the film gives me a great amount of joy. So yeah, but... I'm, I'm trying to do that as much as possible. Yeah, that's great. And, and I'm really glad to hear it's doing uh, doing so well, very, very well, uh, well-deserved uh, success. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how did you work on accessibility in past productions? And what do you feel is the role of accessibility in your work? Uh, our past productions had only funded um, mandated accessibility, so uh, subtitles, and that was it. Um, I haven't made a film about being autistic before, I, to my detriment, had sort of very much a host view on accessibility, I think, um, and how that, uh, it didn't affect the work in, in any way through production or inception. We weren't thinking about it. Uh, it was very much the case of, oh, um, most things after subtitles, I guess I'll make subtitles laboriously <laughs> by hand. Um, and, but apart from that, sort of, uh, yeah, it, I think it all seemed, especially when you're working on such tight budgets and such, you know, um, low uh, staffing throughout the production, that uh, any engagement in accessibility was a big time factor, I think. Okay. And therefore we were um, more, did the minimum requires <laughs> <laughs> to um, satisfy whoever was funding yeah. the film. And what did what attracted you then to the idea of EAD as an integrated form of access through sound design? Well, I think it all changes when we go to make spines and we go to make spines knowing it's a film that we want to, it to be seen by autistic people. And um, generally, uh, you, there are caveats made for autistic people in cinema spaces, but they are autistic-friendly screenings, tend to have the lights up and the, slightly and the sound down. <clears throat> and we wanted to make the the film has a lot of um, sound effects in it that could that are replicating the experience of me as a child and how my audio sensory overload would work. And therefore, there is a lot of deliberate audio sensory overload in the film. And I knew that I didn't want that to alienate the people who I was sort of making the film for. Yeah, so I knew so. that there was going to be a, um, 
another version of the film anyway. And when we pitched, uh, when we funded the film, we put an extra line in it to create a autistic friendly sound mix for the film. And um, I thought it was relatively, going to be relatively easy. <laughs> and um, it did, it, it was um, a lot hard. Once I started doing research about what that would sort of entail, it was a lot harder than I thought. And therefore I was going to have to come up with sort of my own um, parameters of what is an autistic friendly sound mix. Mm -hmm. And and that was obviously difficult because my experience as an autistic person is, is singular and there are loads of overlaps with other people, but I'm sure that there are lots of autistic people who have absolutely no overlaps with my experience whatsoever. So their autistic friendly mix would be something incredibly different. So there was no sort of standardization of it, which um, I think mainly annoyed me and my <laughs> producer Lily and it got quite tricky quite quickly and that also annoyed me and then when um, we made the film and we worked and I worked with the autistic lead of the film Oscar uh, it was it, I think it, it took my accessibility politics from centre left to militant wing <laughs> and I genuinely thought that we wouldn't, without the accessibility money that we had through a public backer and um, the sort of uh, luckily good grace of and brilliance of our producer, Oscar wouldn't have been able to make the film. He would be... Yeah. Um, uh, unable to access filmmaking as at all because of his his needs and and that annoyed me and I was just getting more and more annoyed <laughs> one hand and, and finding it a sort of life-changingly beautiful experience on one hand and then also incredibly annoying on the other that there wasn't really any tools out there to help us effectively um, and so we made the autistic sound mix for the film and we knew that and then the BFI said um, the uh, showed us a video of what you guys were doing and gave us your email and we thought it was a sort of sod it in for a penny in for a pound if they <laughs> if if it uh, sucks for us then it must suck for other people so we were very sort of blind and naive but all we sort of knew was um that we had sort of found out that the accessibility for autistic people in the filmmaking world is crap and therefore we were having to try very hard to um circumvent some of that rubbishness then surely the accessibility for everyone else is also crap and therefore <laughs> we could um make some move into being a bit more i guess radical in not just the space for autistic children that we're working with but also a space for uh, partially sighted and blind people or deaf people you know just like anything 
I think we just got very interested by post-production in how um, lacking it was across the board. Yeah, very, very interesting. And it kind of speaks to kind of sometimes we find kind of a lack of access in one area and that kind of prompts us to become interested in access uh, more generally. And so it seems like this interest, stem, this interest stemmed from, from your frustration which uh, and annoyance, which is, you know, I always say one researches and works on things that uh, you're angry about. So that's that's a good example, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't have considered it beforehand, like just full stop, it was a blind spot of mine. There, was, there wasn't any, I think I, always I was always quite interested in translation um okay. when I was uh reading books I remember really going down a very big rabbit hole on who was the sort of best translation for Tolstoy when I was I was reading some Tolstoy and okay <laughs> there were many many sort of big lengthy discussions by linguists of who out there was doing the best translations and all the ones that Penguin were using were like old Victorian translations and then vintage were coming out with these new translations done by this couple and um, I was always interested in that and as someone who watches a lot of foreign films I was also interested in the way that subtitles were um, pretending sort of to be objective in translation, mm -hmm. but were obviously not objective in their translation. I remember going to, to see Endless Poetry, the Hodorowsky film with my partner who speaks Spanish, and um, and we're watching the film, and uh, Hodorowsky says to his son in the film, uh, and the subtitle says, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and Molly turned to me and whispered I don't know what he said but it was something about mountains and goats <laughs> and and so even in you know that respect that's a sort of idiom that was translated in a subjective yeah. way yeah. and so I think I had a lot of once the task was posed of could we be sort of openly creative with this uh sort of um task that had before now in just AD is is obviously subjective because somebody is writing it but is pretending to be yeah. the sort of objective voice to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as the sort of conundrum of uh, could we interestingly create something subjective to um, and is it more interesting to be open about our subjectivity uh, than sort of pretending to be objective, I, I was down. I, I, you know, that's <laughs> always been an interest of mine. I was very happy to mull that question over when it came to my film, you know. Yeah, thank you. And, and something that really Im impressed me when we, we worked together in Spines is um, how, um, how naturally you wrote the first person uh, for Oscar. I was just like, when I read it, I thought, oh, my God, this is just like uh, perfect for the film. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, how you work to create that first person as part of the EAD framework. Yeah, well, I, I've, I found it a, a very fun and interesting task. And I think, obviously, what we're striving for in all accessibility stuff is for, for it to not be ad hoc and for it 
to be um, laid throughout production and thought about in pre-production and onwards. Um, but I really wouldn't have been able to write it had I tried to write it previous to meeting Oscar. It was definitely to, to be able to write, because you're working with a child and somebody who is therefore not really able to sort of create a cadence and uh, a manner of a character they're using they might be speaking words that they've learned on the script but they're very much using large parts of their own character they can't change themselves you know like a sort of adult actor can in that way so to for it to come out naturally for it to come out naturally from oscar's mouth i i needed to have spent time with him at that point and to have his sort of his speech patterns um lodged in my brain and and you know as a i think as a writer what i i tend to do is um a lot of my job is memorizing people's speech patterns of people that you know i might meet for two seconds or know all my life and i am expanding on those ways of speaking and those um and therefore I needed Oscars to make it believable. And so I found that very, very helpful. And I, I wrote it as a poem, I think. It was <laughs> unpunctuated on lots of lines whenever I, a sort of line break equaling a, a sort of breath for Oscar. And um, I did it relatively stream of consciousness. I did a sort of, a, a a scene that I would I would watch and I would talk over and then I would write down what I said um and obviously mod, uh, change it a little bit for things I didn't like or maybe I was um aiming for something but those patterns I would I would just get from from watching the film and and talking over it and um that was loads of fun it was loads of fun as a sort of a puzzle to unpick to, to go back to the film and think about what information am I not giving um the because I think the problem is as a filmmaker you're taught to 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 strip everything from your film that isn't visual it's not television it's not it's supposed to be you're sort of aiming for a, a sighted captivated audience yeah. and therefore you are always told that you know sh show don't tell if you can <laughs> show something you are that is much better than having a conversation if you can show a relationship between two people in some way whether that's a photograph in the production design or whatever then that is better than say the line well you would say that because you're my brother you know and um and therefore it's a, it's slightly unteaching yourself that <laughs> and looking at in a different way of okay so what if I think I've done quite a good job at stripping away all of the dialogue and really showing you visually then I've got to put a lot back in and um yeah. and then again to sort of have a brain that says okay well you want to do that but you don't want to do it in bad writing so you still got to do it in a way that suggests to a, that a, a 
the partially sighted person doesn't um, experience the film and go, yeah, that was terribly written. And, that, and you're there going, yeah, but I got all the information across. Yeah. And a partially sighted person is like, yeah, but I don't care. It was very badly written. <laughs> and so you're sort of um, juggling those two things, which I loved as an experience. I found it really fun, uh, you know, different puzzle to the film. Yeah. And it shows how how creative the process is, because I, I know I've told you this, but of course, people listening don't don't know this. Um, but the, my favorite, my favorite, favorite line of the first person is when um, Oscar says that he's he's sitting at the kitchen table and, and his mum is bringing the sandwiches and and we, we see him um, with the sandwiches and he says, oh, they 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 smell of old people. They're from work. And um, I loved how that was just a response to my note that uh, his mom is wearing a carer's uh, uniform. So I thought, well, we need to kind of show that, uh, to tell that to, to people in the, the EAD version. Um, and I was wondering, how did you come up with that line? Because it's just so beautifully integrated. Yeah, I think that's, that is part, that is, the, you know, the big the big task is to, to, to look at the film and go, okay, so totally visually in the film, uh, the um, sort of class politics of the film are shown. Oscar lives in a smaller house. Um, his mother is a single mum. He, he, her, she works in a care home. All of this is told visually. There is one line in the film where he is, he and his mum are standing outside his new friend's house, and she says, um, "You're moving up in the world." And that is the only yeah. thing that would tell a partially sighted audience what is quite a big point in the film. Um, and and so when you gave a note, I sort of had a think about it and go, well, actually, it is really important because that whereas um, that line would give a partially sighted audience a indication of the world he is about to go in when he goes in his friend's house we have sort of no indication previous to that of his current circumstances yeah so that was sort of something that was obviously missing when you just looked at the script and we needed i think obviously i sort of i mold you know i probably wrote 100 versions of the line and <laughs> was thinking um constantly how how I would how I would use the methodology of, of show don't tell to tell naturalistically not obviously yeah. and um and the sandwiches I think were the it, it never occurred to me in the head that that she might bring the sandwiches back from work and they were eating them as a cost-cutting measure. That was never a thought throughout the whole of production. They were just cucumber sandwiches. And yeah. um, and in the original film, the sort of purely the um, thought process for me is that they were cucumber sandwiches and cucumber sandwiches are very like simple and plain and tasteless and autistic children and me as an autistic child had a particularly difficult time with tastes and foods and um and I wanted to sort of give them a really bland food as a sort of nod yeah. to that that was the original sort of intention of the sandwiches 
and but by but you get these um moments when you're writing where you'll think of something and it and i think the sandwiches thing was was gonna be was purely written as a way of saying that she's in a care yeah. <laughs> and then you think of it deep and you go okay but you're also saying that she's bringing food from work yeah. to home to feed her kids and that says something economically yeah. deeper than that and um and then you just pat yourself on the back and say good job well done um <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and uh, yeah the the first person worked so well um that uh, we had a moment when we were uh, mixing the ed um uh, audio uh for the film where uh my colleague was, was sitting uh s- sitting with me and, and it was the first time he heard the first person and he was like oh it's great that this is in the original and it works so well and i'm like no no this is us <laughs> we did this work um and it's really good i love it uh, uh because the idea of ead is that the accessibility is so integrated that if you didn't know you you wouldn't be able to differentiate when what is the let's call it original film and what is the accessible version and i think that was definitely uh, incredibly uh, well uh, achieved um, through your uh, through your writing yeah, and obviously it helps, I think, that the film is so first person. I don't yeah. know how, uh, obviously, the task is tackled in different ways for yeah. um, everything and, and the film lends itself to it because yeah. it is so first person. Yeah, and therefore, yeah. you can write a very, you know, a sort of the voiceover is, is from inside Oscar's head and it doesn't, um, it's not clean in it. It's like, it's not a... A written thing it's a said thing he arms he ours he talks over himself he you know and we're trying to replicate somewhat of his internal monologue and that's fits with the film really well which i think is you know obviously a, a great coincidence um for us but um yeah i wouldn't know how it would but it's absolutely hammering it down with rain here um, <laughs> um yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know how. I think for every. I think the point is, isn't it, that for every project you would totally address it in a different way, yeah. and and by and the earlier you start to think about that, the more interesting your results are going to be. If you're thinking about it like I was about subtitles at the eleventh hour, um, yeah. then it's never going to be that good. And yeah. and we really found that because of the BFI. Um, wanted ad yep. we had to get we were going to have to get a lady into a booth anyway um <laughs> so it, you know if you it felt very much like if you were going to make that leap like that was time consuming anyway and and therefore we were we might as well um do it interestingly and i think if if the bfi weren't I mean, the good thing is, if the BFI didn't mandate that we make an AD, that we were even considering that, then we wouldn't be here full stop. Yeah. And therefore, I think that is something to be praised, even if, you know, we're looking at more interesting ways and, and giving people more creative options and experience yeah. in the films. Still, as, as a filmmaker and a filmmaker making a film about a disabled person, I still needed to be uh, contractually obliged to yeah. enter this space. And that's the sort of mindset that we need to change. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, we're very grateful to the BFI that kind of has promoted our work and given their filmmakers an option of actually trying something different in terms of accessibility. So a good opportunity to thank uh, the, the BFI from our side uh, as well. And of course, in addition to the voice recordings that we added for the first person, actually most of the EAD work focuses on the addition or rebalancing of sound effects to clarify meaning, as well as the spatialization of sounds and voices. And I was wondering, was there anything about the changes we made uh, to your film to create the EAD version that surprised you in terms of how that could help provide access? Um, I think, I think as um, not uh, as somebody who plays video games and video games with binaural sort of soundscapes okay. in them, I think I was um, I was probably a bit more informed than somebody yep. going into it about the sort of space that you're working with and what that helps. So I wasn't like shocked by anything or like um <laughs> overawed by what the tools you had at, at your disposal so I sort of knew what yep. what it was going to be like going in and it is always fascinating to sort of to listen to it and to um it just really I tend to direct a lot with my eyes closed um okay i have a really good relationship with my cinematographer and once we sort of planned it out on the day i have a lot of faith that he will um achieve what we want to achieve and it and it leaves me really therefore in the moment to focus on performance and i find it much easier to at least in a couple of the takes or in rehearsal to to close my eyes and really understand um the performance that way and it was great to be able to do that with spines through you guys working in binaural sound it was like um being back in the room and and that was such a nice um way to live it for me because you can yeah. sort of I don't know, it's, it's, I think we have a lot of bits in the film where we um, dip the uh, naturalistic, the, it's digestic, the word, uh, sound effects yep. in the film and his sort of, the music of his brain takes over in the film. And obviously it was interesting for me to see how you resolved those sorts of conundrums <laughs> in the film. I was I was looking forward to that before I heard the version to, to sort of, once I knew what endeavour you were undertaking, I was interested in the sort of creative challenges that our film had set by essentially dropping out all the digestic sound at points to have his brain lead the way. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we have a lot of scratching in the film and things like that that are very mm -hmm. heightened and it and it was very interesting to me how you were going to get that across again without overburdening the the listener. Um, yeah. So they're not taking in the other information that is key that is coming across purely visually at the time. You know. So I was just interested. I really liked. Um, I was always excited. 
<laughs> Thank you. And and of course, um, just, just for the listeners that might not know this, we uh, do test all our EAD versions with visually impaired um, people. So we uh, assemble a group of paid participants and they complete, they watch the film, they complete a survey on their uh, thoughts about it, but also we have a focus group discussion and based on that discussion, uh, we provided uh, a summary uh, for uh, for uh, for you, and also after that, we kind of agreed on what changes uh, needed to be done. So everything is uh, has that really uh, really important uh, input. Um, and I was wondering, what are your plans to use the EAD version of your film? Well, we um, I send a cover letter to every festival that we're in that yeah. outlines that the film has. Uh, two other sound mixes, an autistic friendly sound mix and an EAD yeah. sound mix, and they are, if they are want to use them, um, then to contact us. I think, obviously, in short film, when you're you're not only you're dealing with a sort of two year cycle of the film being relatively secret, as if it's playing at film festivals, and then um, yeah. it sort of come back to you, and you have a multitude of options of how to exhibit it to the world yeah. and and we really haven't come to that bridge yet we're only what three months into our sort of two years yeah. of the um film cycle and so it's we because it was the first BFI network funded film to be written and directed by an autistic person and also star an autistic person they asked us to write a case study on that and I think in the accessibility department uh, the case study is what leads the um the way with, with yeah. spines and and hoping to you know just get as many people to sort of be able to access that and know it exists and yeah. those things is really important for us for now and and that has a section on um the post um accessibility stuff um including EAD and also deals with accessibility throughout pre-production and production itself and so there's definitely uh I think the film comes as a into the world as a championing of accessibility yeah. and EAD is is one of the prongs of attack in in that and um and so right now we will be playing, the film will play at um, Oscar Bright um, in Brighton, uh, which is the UK's biggest um, disabled film festival. It's playing at a disabled film festival in Kosovo today. So like it's, it's, it's out there and yeah. if as many uh, disabled people can see it and gel with it, then, that's great um and i think with the ead i think it's in we're on such a cusp with whether it's to say we wanted to put it up on youtube or whatever post um two years ago or vimeo yeah. once the film has finished its cycle um i'm still sort of relatively in the dark in how they work with the spatial stuff whether you can upload into 5.1 7.1 or 
and all of those sorts of things. So I'm still very much yet to cross that bridge on yeah. how, when the film is done, we can best exhibit it to partially yeah. sighted people and just to people. Yeah. Um, and the, having the, these sorts yeah. of three distinct versions of the film gives it a sort of three separate conundrums. Yeah. I mean, the, the beauty about the AD version is that, because it's binaural, you just have the two-channel uh, version, so it just uploads like a stereo mix. Mm. Uh, so hopefully that means that people can just listen to it over headphones without having to have kind of sophisticated loudspeaker systems uh, systems or or others. Uh, yeah, so, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then that's great. But then you have that headphone caveat. So obviously for um, film festivals, it's yeah. relatively impractical. Yeah. Um, and and so. Yeah, we're just sort of starting out in the world and working out yeah. what is going to be the best yeah. um, way to get the film to audiences. And and it's very interesting, like you said, with our focus groups that, you know, those are focus groups of adults and a lot of the um, incredibly interesting and thoughtful comments we had about the film and the EAD mix, because they're sort of separate and together like yeah. we had focus group comments that were sort of purely about the film and yeah. uh, and ones that are about their accessibility to the film and um and obviously the ones that are about their accessibility to the film were very helpful for you in in your research but the ones about the film were sort of equally interesting to us and and as a film that is meant for children, but is playing at a lot of adult film festivals, it is always interesting to sort of hear the reactions of adults and, yeah. and go, well, is, is, you know, what are you coming to the film with as an adult that's different to what I wanted, what a child might be coming to the film with? So again, I think exploring what we spoke about of the opportunity of it being played to partially sighted yeah. children is obviously a, a totally different comes with its own challenges of um of getting the film to those partially sighted children yeah. um but that's that's another interesting thing that we're yet to um uh succeeded which hopefully over the sort of net in the life of the film we will be able to yeah you know. absolutely and and just to to wrap up what are your what's next for you what are your next up uh, uh, plans for production um what are our next plans for production i've i've um, been writing so i i've so went back to uh writing i work as a job with um disabled children uh, okay. mainly autistic children who are sort of on the edge of education and have quite severe behavioral or developmental needs um i am writing a a sort of feature expansion of some of the themes that spines deals with um and so just going through that process of 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 writing at the moment, which is very much liking. Um, and and then we might make something in the new year that is about cricket, one of my first loves. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and we're sort of constantly doing stuff. Like we're just about to release the 
second of um, some films we made during COVID that okay. uh, were sort of remotely made. So lots going on, but it's very nice to have the sort of film festival scene die for a couple of months and be able to um, relax over Christmas because I don't feel like I've had a holiday in a long time. I was in France uh, with the film and it did not feel like a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> it very much felt like work. And it's the first time I've ever been abroad for work and I, I thought it would be... Uh, when people say, oh, jealous to me, I thought I would take some solace in that, but actually I was mainly thought I'd really like to be in bed right now at home. <laughs> and uh, this might be a bit confusing to listeners because this um, this episode will uh, will be released, uh, I believe, in February. So oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we're recording, <laughs> just so that everybody knows we're recording in December, hence the, the talk about, about Christmas. Otherwise, they're going to think we're just planning the following Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's currently uh, December and <laughs> it's the weather is really getting, you know, terrible stay inside, light of fire weather. And I think my body is getting ready to eat lots of food and sit about <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Oh, well, who knows? Maybe in February people are still eating leftovers. <laughs> yes. It might still be topical. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Joe. This has been a huge pleasure to have this conversation with you. And uh, thank you again for trusting us with the accessibility of your film. We're super proud of what has been produced and really, really glad it's doing so well in the festival circuit. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to do and and incredibly eye-opening, but also um, I remember a point where we were at with Spines when we were sort of working our way through the accessibility questions uh, on the autistic side and me and Lily would have these long conversations about it and it would feel quite lonely um, yeah and I'm just incredibly happy to have you know met you guys and done it, uh, the idea of the film and um, now be able to show the film at places and spaces for disabled people that I don't feel so alone in it now which is lovely um, so just you know incredibly grateful for the opportunity. Oh, thank you very much. And a lovely note to uh, end this episode on. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed learning more about the process of EAD production for the short film Spines. And stay tuned for more Darcy episodes coming soon. Thank you for listening.